If you love me, keep my commands. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Good morning, friends. That voice you heard, by the way, is one of our chaplains that's on staff with us, Jeffrey Ruffin. And the creative team in our church just does this really cool stuff all the time, and it's just great to hear his voice getting us ready for Scripture today. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. I'm very glad you're with us and uh, joining us not only here in the West Auditorium, but everybody in the East Auditorium and everybody online. It's great to have you with us. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to the Gospel of Mark, one of the biographies of Jesus. It's, I don't know, three-quarters of the way through the Bible. There are four biographies of Jesus in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to read Mark. It was the first one that was written. Uh, the others sort of uh, read his as they were writing theirs. So Mark chapter, um, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be reading in just a few minutes. Maybe you can grab it on your smartphone if you don't have a Bible with you. I, um, I want to start this morning by uh, having a chat with you about a story that's got a little bit of a, a strange twist to it. And if you want to know the rest of the story, I would tell you you have to go out and look at Outside Magazine. It's online. You can read this article for free if you wish. And it's a story that features a couple. Here's their photo. Eric and Pam Beeler. That photo is taken, taken in a setting that's close to their home in Lysiansky Inlet, which is in a very remote part of Alaska. That home, what they have there, is so remote, you actually have to take a boat two days' journey from Sitka to get there. They lived alone there out in the Siansky Inlet, alone, just the two of them, living off the land. Uh, they produced their own food, and, and um, they, one of the, the way in which they survived, if you will, they, for funds, they, he was an artist. Um, Eric was an artist, and um, every few months, they would get in their boat, load up their handiwork. They would travel half the way, beach the boat, sleep on the beach there, and then travel the way the next, to the next day to the rest of the way to Sitka, and they had a, a gallery there that would sell their artwork. They lived there for more than 20 years, alone, 
and yet together. It was a hard life, but it was the life they chose. Uh, it was made a little bit more difficult, or perhaps significantly more difficult, because Pam suffered from multiple sclerosis. And as the years went along, that disease progressed. And um, at this point of the story where I'm talking to you, it had sort of reached its final stage. They did have access to email through modern technology. But for the most part, their lives were alone. Can you tell today's a bit rough? It's a two-glasser two today. <clears throat> On September, in September of 2018, um, they stopped responding to emails. Friends became concerned. And so a month later, October 5th, two friends, a married couple, made the boat trip to the island to see what was going on. The wife stayed in the boat, and the husband got out of the boat and walked up the trail towards the cabin that belonged to the Beelers. The screen door, think about this, get this picture in your head, the screen door to the covered porch was open. He went in, right in front of the door to the house, there was a bin filled with packages and letters, and then there was a note taped to the glass of the front door, the front door was locked. On one side, the note said this, hello, if you're looking for the Beelers, please read this. If you found this, please mail the attached or the packages in the bin below. Mail the attached packages that will go to the people who, who know what to do next and take care of things. Please accept the cash in the envelope as a gift to pay you for your trouble and postage for the packages and envelopes. Flip the note over. On the back side of the note, it said, to the world and all concerned. This is to officially notify you that Pam and Eric Beeler are dead. We've gone to some effort to hide our bodies as we don't want to be found. Please do not waste time or money looking. It would serve no purpose. We are gone. Please leave us in peace. It's a rough story. And so you go, well, welcome to church. I'm so glad you started your sermon with this sort of story, right? Again, if you want to know more, Outside Magazine. I, I um, would have to say that setting is probably not the sort of life that I'm looking for. I mean, I like some time to myself with regularity, but that much solitude, and like two days' journey to go see somebody that you might know, that's not for me. It might be for you. I mean, do you like solitude? Some of us throughout the pandemic have had so much solitude and there's been so much forced isolation that mental health professionals say that in the years ahead, we're going to learn that the last 24 months have wreaked havoc on the emotional stability of countless millions. Our most recent sermon series, Above All Else, it was written, frankly, with your emotional needs, with how are we dealing emotionally with all that's happened to us in the past two years. That's what that was all about, and that was good. But for today, and in this present sermon series, the focus is significantly different. Namely, this is about Lent. It's about getting ready for Holy Week and Easter. And straight up, this sermon series is about Jesus. What are the things that Jesus did? What did he say? In many Bibles, those words are printed in red. And so the goal here in this sermon series is this, to learn what Jesus said, to live accordingly as Jesus instructed, and to use him as our model. And so that asks the question, in light of the Beelers and their solitude, how did Jesus manage solitude and a busy life? I mean, how did he manage that? Because 
If we can look at how he did it, then we'll get some answers to how we should live accordingly. So read with me beginning in verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. They, Jesus and his disciples, went to, well, some people say Capernaum, uh, probably a better way to say it would be Capernaum, or just say all the, all the letters, Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently. He came out of him with a shriek. The people who are watching this, they were all amazed. So much so they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and one with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, Simon's mother-in-law. Sometimes we refer to Simon as Simon Peter or Peter. So this is Simon Peter or Peter that you learn about later on during Holy Week. Her, his mother was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her. He took her hand. He actually took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on him. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew who he was. The demons knew he was the Son of God. Next morning, we're at the end of the Sabbath now, the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Dude! Everyone's looking for you. Actually, they didn't say dude. Maybe they did. But Mark doesn't say dude, but I think it sounds appropriate, don't you? Dude, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, dudes, let's go. <laughs> you all are very quiet today. You're missing that extra hour of sleep, I can tell. I can tell. It's, it's an hour early for you because we all pushed our <laughs> clocks forward, all right? Jesus says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, and that's why I've come. So they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So what can we learn about Jesus' words, what he did, what he said, what he did, and then how could we live accordingly? Well, first of all, look back to verse 21. It's the introduction to what we've read here today. It's the introduction to the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Verse 21, what's the day of the week? They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, the day of the Sabbath. And so here we have in Capernaum, which is um, a small fishing village at the very northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And the photo you're about to see um, is um, an aerial photo of the village as it is today. You'll notice it's very small. That big round building, or, or pay, pay attention to the size of the cars, and you realize that Capernaum is a very small place. The, the big round building is a church that has been built on the ruins of Simon Peter's house. So this is a very small place that if you go visit Israel, you can walk through it in about 45 minutes, if that much. So beautiful place, right on the sea. And uh, notice that in Capernaum, this event is taking place on the Sabbath, 
And maybe you're not familiar with that uh, word or have insight to the word Sabbath. Sabbath in Jewish life is one day. And for the most part, generally speaking, most people observe Sabbath from sunset Friday through sunset Saturday. 24 hours starting on, on Friday evening as the sun goes down and it lasts through when the sun goes down Saturday. And during that period of time, an observant Jewish person does not do any work whatsoever. And the prohibition against work includes cooking, it includes healing, it includes any sort of manual labor, anything that would be, would, would be you take a day off. You, you just don't do any of that. And so on the Sabbath, Jesus is doing something that's not right. He's healing. And then later in the day, after she's feeling better, Peter's mother-in-law starts preparing food and serves them. And it would appear at first glance, think about this, that the whole setting is anti-Sabbath. We'll come back to the Sabbath business yet again today. But here's our focus. What I want you to see for today primarily is here's a 24-hour block of time. We have a snapshot of about 24 hours of what Jesus was doing in 24 hours of his life. We start on the Sabbath, he's teaching and healing, then he's eating, and then sunset comes along. Mark, when he says it was after sunset that he goes to the house and he's healing people, you see that in verse 32. He, Mark points out that it's sunset. Why is he pointing out that it's sunset? To tell us, well, the Sabbath has come to an end. And so he says in verse 32, the Sabbath has come to an end. Jesus, by this time, during the Sabbath, has been healing his mother, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is, um, is serving food. And then it says, there's more healing. And then he goes off to bed. You say, well, it says, doesn't say about him going off to bed. Well, it does say in the next morning he gets up. So in order to get up, he's gone to bed. So he's resting. And then the next morning he gets up and we have Jesus alone in prayer. And then his prayer time is interrupted by his disciples and it's back to ministry again. Cycle of 24 hours in Jesus' life. Work, let's go this, work, rest, prayer, quietness, work. I think at times we have a rather inaccurate photo of Jesus' life. We think he's this high and mighty son of God, which he is. We think he's got all the power of heaven, which he does. And so consequently, though, we say, well, we can't imitate that. We can't obtain that kind of living. And then we, we, we look at it him as being the suffering servant as well that's so low down that, man, we could never imitate that either. But here in this 24-hour story of Jesus, this photo snapshot of Jesus' life, there's much more, if you will, that's relatable and achievable. And in verse 38, Jesus sort of caps off this whole, this, this whole 24 hours and says, I've come to do a job. Let's do it. Let's get to the next village so I can preach. But in between preaching, he's resting and praying. He's hanging out with his friends. So here, what, what, what's plain? Well, it's plain to me that Jesus likes work. He has a passion for his vocation, which in his case happens to be ministry and people. He also likes solitude at times. And the solitude and the prayer are providing support for the work that he has for his missional vocation. And so you got work, quietness, and solitude. Those two, if you will, different portions of his life. What's the easy of those two for you? Are you wired for work and vocation and interpersonal interactions either inside the house or outside the house? 
or do you find greater fulfillment in solitude and quietness? I would suspect you might need both. I need both. I suspect also, or I know, there's a, an, a default within my psyche. Uh, but I know I need both. For example, in recent weekends, the buzz around the lobby and the growing number of people in the building has, has been quite a boost for me, if I can say it straight up, emotionally. That's because, candidly, the pandemic has wrecked me. It's messed with me quite badly at times. And I've desperately missed people. Last weekend, several people came up to me in the lobby and in the West Auditorium and in the East Auditorium, both auditoriums. They said, hey, this is the first time we've been back in two years. And I find that quite thrilling and I suppose distressing at the same time because that means there's not been that face-to-face -face interaction for two whole years. It's bothersome to me, I suppose, given my vocation, vocational calling on my life is interaction with people, right? To talk to people and figure out how life is going for them. I'm aware that some who have been locked into homes for 24 months or senior saints locked in nursing homes for 24 months, at times the suffering has been unbearable. And those of you online yet today, still in that sort of setting, you wonder when will it end? When will you feel comfortable to be out again? I get it. I'm pleased beyond what you can imagine at what our church has discovered about Zoom calls and online church services. We've grown in understanding and passion for that. We've grown in technology and impact. Hundreds are online with us each weekend, and I'm thrilled for that. And perhaps you don't know this, but one huge aspect of our ministry uh, came along as a result of the pandemic, and that is our impact in nursing homes. We, prior to the pandemic, we have, would have staff and volunteers visiting nursing homes, but then when that shut down, we had two nursing homes in particular that we had some some residents that belonged to the church, and we would visit those people. And when we couldn't visit them, we began sending them DVDs of the worship service. And um, the uh, staff came to us, called us up, and said, do you mind if we not only show it to somebody from your church, but can we show it to other people? And they had these carts that they're wheeling from room to room. And then after it was sort of a little easier in the places, they said, we're gathering people together. Can you send us a sheet or something rather to lead them through this worship service? And so we were doing that in two nursing homes, and then more nursing homes heard about it, and more and more. Do you know? And outside of Decatur. So we now, each week, are mailing DVDs to 26 different nursing homes here in central Illinois. And to this point, in the last two years, we've mailed out 3,000 different copies of the worship services. And that's really cool. And all of it's good. And if you're online with us today because of that sort of thing, it's all good. I'm thrilled beyond that about all that. It's a great development of the pandemic's impact. Yet I must say, I miss seeing everybody because for my well-being, I need some personal interaction. Not only for my job, but because it's just good for me. Online is good, but I miss people, I guess you could say. I miss your face. I really do. Having said that, even as, as I'm acknowledging my need for people, I know that my wiring is best supported by solitude and time alone. I mean... I'll put it this way. I love you all dearly, most of the time. <laughs> but you can drive me crazy at times. And my best response is time alone with God. That doesn't necessarily solve all your problems, but it solves my problems with your problems. Is that a good th way to put it? Seriously, I truly enjoy my vocation and each of you, but the inner, I enjoy the interpersonal relationships 
But the source of energy for all of that for me comes from solitude and quietness before God. It, that's what rejuvenates me for the, later on for the times of personal interaction. And I'm aware that many, many people are completely different. Perhaps your rejuvenation comes from people, and it's from people you go, okay, now I can go be, be, be quiet with God. But you two need both. Because isn't that what we see in Jesus? Work, rest, solitude, prayer, work. He wasn't so spiritually minded that he forgot his work and his people. Yet he wasn't so vocationally driven that he forgot his inner soul work. It wasn't one over the other. It's a balance. We see this in Mark's story, in the story we've just read. Mark is, uh, if you, in case you may not know this, Mark was a little boy when Jesus was alive on earth. As a matter of fact, later on at the end of the book of Mark, you'll see uh, when, Jesus, when the story talks about Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Mark writes about a young teenager running away naked because they grab his, his tunic as he runs off. That's Mark. He's writing about himself. He's a young teenager, and, he, and later on as an adult, he comes back and writes the book of Mark. Years later, a fellow who was not originally one of the original disciples of, of Jesus, uh, a fellow by the name of Luke, he comes along and he, he's an investigative reporter in the ancient world. And he comes along and he also does a study of Jesus' life. And he's reading Mark and he's writing, okay, so then he goes and interviews people. And this is what Luke has to say, again, years later, about Jesus and about how he carried his life. He says this in Luke 5, the news about Jesus spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear and to be healed of their sicknesses and their diseases. Sounds like Mark, right? But Jesus, he says, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So you've got both Mark and Luke and other places in Scripture as well. In, in this gospel, we hear the story of Jesus working, praying in quietness. Praying in quietness and working. working. In, in case you're inclined to say, well, that's Jesus. That's not me. I can't be that quiet, or I can't be that busy. Correct, you're not Jesus. But if the Son of God, who had all the power of heaven at his disposal, realized that he had to have both, since you're not Jesus, maybe you need to learn a thing or two from him. If that's the way in which he managed his life, then how's it going for you? How's it going for you in terms of this busyness, and then quietness and solitude in prayer. We all know how to be busy. I, I think we get that, particularly in our day and culture. So many things call for our moment-by-moment moment attention. And these days, computers seem to make it even worse than in days gone by. They have not, it seems to me, made our lives less busy or quieter, provide more time for solitude. I mean, perhaps you've got a, a Roomba vacuum cleaner. We don't. But I love the idea of this mini-computer running around the house, constantly vacuuming when we're not home. Um, sure, if, if we were to have that or if you have one, that means less vacuuming for you, sure. But it doesn't account, though, for the noise and the busy life most of us face each day. We've got computers and emails and cell phones and televisions. We've got a 24-hour news cycle, cars that ding when you're changing lanes, doorbells that ding on our phones or smartwatches and texts and social media and alerts to this or that. Um, we recently uh, moved into a newer house for us, and with that house came a whole bunch of newer appliances. We've been married for almost 41 years, and so it seemed like 40 years in, it would be time for some new appliances. It's a long story, but nonetheless. 
But sometimes I miss the old ones. Here's why. Our furnace, it sends alerts to me telling it's time to change the filter. I know that. I know it's the first of the month. You don't need to tell me. I'll get to it. Give me a, can you hang on just for a couple days, wherever that little man is inside of the furnace, say, change me, change me, change me. I'll get to you. The microwave. What's with the old-fashioned microwave that we got when we first married? This new one, it dings and dings and dings over and over again once the food is heated. It dings until you open the door. And you go, I know it's ready. I'm doing something else in the kitchen. I'll get to you. The refrigerator dings if the door is held open for too long. The dryer dings if the clothes are dry. And I, I, you want to scream from the bed at 1 o'clock in the morning, can you wait till the morning? I don't care if the underwear has wrinkles in it. I really don't. I prefer not to have the dryer informing that the clothes are dry at 1 o'clock in the morning. Or the dishwasher. It feels a need to sing some sort of tune when it finishes its work. I've learned this. Don't ever... Last night, we chose not to put the dishwasher on when we went to bed because we didn't want to ding it at 1 o'clock in the morning saying, I'm all finished. Y'all, y'all, y'all need to give me a break. The car dings when it's time for an oil change. Do you notice that, these new cars? And I go, go an extra few miles, please. My watch dings if there's a check clearing the bank. And I go, there's money there, just handle it. Weren't all these advances supposed to make our lives better? Perhaps we're better, but we're certainly not quieter. Quieter is foreign. Foreign to our life experience of late. It seems far less quiet than is appropriate. And I suspect this in no way resembles Jesus' lifestyle. We know busyness and noise. Do we balance that with solitude and quietness before God? Do we support the busyness with solitude and prayerful quietness before God? Oh, sure. We can all pray while we're driving down the road. I do it, you do it. We can pray during everything we're doing during the day. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. I get that. But is it possible that, well, I pray when I'm driving simply makes God your magical genie on the road with you? Take a few moments, a few minutes, perhaps more than a few minutes. Sit in the living room. Sit on the back porch. Sit somewhere and just look out the window and experience God's presence beyond just giving him your laundry list of needs. Simply be present with God. We've all got something to learn here. So I'd like to give you some observations then, having sort of unpacked the story, some ways in which we could figure out how to take the story of Jesus in the book of Mark and help us find some life balance. So here's some ways to discover this life balance of work responsibilities along with quietness and solitude before God. Because I'm quite aware, people tell me, I have my quiet time for an hour and a half at 4.30 in the morning. And half the Christian population goes, give me a break. I'm still sleeping at 4.30 in the morning. It works for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody. So how do we do this? Well, let's remember that a Jesus lifestyle includes both work and prayerful solitude. And maybe it's time to acknowledge you're out of balance on this. It's not my intent to make you feel guilty for not having a quiet time. Instead, in the same passion that you have for your job, duplicate, duplicate that in your desire for God's work in you. Don't change as a result of guilt. Instead, change with, I'm going to have a proactive and intentional decision to approach life in a new way. 
a life-work balance, if you will. And this approach will impact your personal understanding of who you. It'll give you some self-awareness. We're going to give you a moment of quietness later on in the worship service where you can just, hey, God, what would you say to me today? Not I'm going to bring you my laundry list, but this will help you simply be. I mean, it will help you experience and examine who you are. In the context of solitude before God, asking God, God, will you reveal me to me? How are you viewing me, God? How are other people viewing me? I mean, are you cranky all the time? Are you known as a prickly pear? Do you know that? Is that how other people view you? Maybe you got, if you are, I would say, stop it. As Leslie would say, don't make me come off that porch to you, but nonetheless, you get the point. You, or are you, on the other hand, known as having a generous generosity of spirit, even to the point where people know that? In the midst of quietness, some self-awareness can come. And I'm not suggesting you have to get this all figured out today. Pace yourself. Remember this approach of life and prayer and, and busyness and work, it's a discipleship issue. It takes a long time. So pace yourself. Start by getting it right today and tomorrow, and then we'll see what happens on the day after that. Here's what I mean. I don't recognize anyone in the building today, in this room at least, who's 90 years of age. We have some 90-year-olds in our congregation. I don't know if I'll live to be 90, but if I do, I hope when I'm looking in the rearview mirror of my life, that I will see decades of faithful discipleship. Years of when I've done it right. But decades of faithful discipleship are simply accumulated one year at a time. Years of faithful discipleship are accumulated one month at a time. Months of faithful discipleship are accumulated one week at a time. Weeks of faithful discipleship are accumulated one day at a time. Days of faithful discipleship are accumulated in hours at a time. Hours of faithful discipleship are accumulated in minutes. And minutes of faithful discipleship are accumulated by moments, one at a time. Pace yourself for the long term. In other words, how are you going to manage the hours between now and sunset tonight can you get a little bit of time alone with God? If you have a smartphone with you, I want you to get it out right now because we're going to give you some help in this. Start with one minute, and there's a powerful um, computer and smartphone app that can help you. And I'm, it's going to come up on the screen, and I'd suggest you take a photo of this if you say, hey, I need some help just to figure out how to do this. It's called the one-minute pause, and here's how it works. It literally is set up as a reminder, and you can say, I want a ding at 7.30 in the morning. I want a ding, it, forth, a ding, it gives you a ding, it sends you an alert to say, take one minute to pause and go through a 60-second moment of solitude with God. You could say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive into work every day. And instead of driving and praying, when I get to a particular parking lot, I'm going to pull off and for one minute, just for one minute, stop driving, stop focusing on anything but hearing from God. If we can help you with that, let us know, Okay. Pace yourself. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to happen one moment at a time. 
And then you'll get to the next day and the next day beyond that. Because I think we need to do this. We have to acknowledge that the timing on this is not always optimal. Some people do like to get up early in the morning. Pastor Brian, I mean, he is up 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and he is just solid at that, day after day after day. I know if I ever need to reach him, I could call him at 5 o'clock in the morning. He'll pick up the phone. I mean, that's, that, it's really good for him. But for other people, early in the morning, may not, it might be late at night. It might be over the lunch hour or whatever. Our lives are busy. Our schedules don't seem always appropriately ordered for this stuff. I get it. I remind you of the story of Jesus from Mark. He didn't accomplish his mission of work and solitude in the customary way. I mean, what was he doing? We read that he was healing on the Sabbath. He actually did something else that nobody was supposed to do. He went and touched a woman. He lifted her up. She had that fever, and he touches her, and he lifts her up, helps her up. A man wasn't supposed to touch a woman who wasn't his relative. None of that was customary. Yet his life mission and prayer and solitude became his trademark so that years later, what happens? Luke comes along and says, oh, by the way, you need to know this. He did life. I mean, he was out working, but he also had times of quietness. So I think of it this way. He stepped away from the fear of trying to figure this out and stepped into the adventure of each new day. So that's why I'd suggest you do the same. Because I know this sort of spirituality may seem far-fetched to you, that's why I suggest you start with one moment on one day. Get to two days, and you know what? Then you might get to three days and four days. And you get to a week, to a month, to a year, to a decade, to decades. Push away from the busyness and discover God working in your soul tomorrow. <laughs>